Welcome to the Corporate Treasury 101 podcast. In this first part of our interview, Stefan M. Ciesla, co-founder at Iora, and Gordon McKenzie, CTO and co-founder at Iora, discuss capital management, why it is important for companies, and much more. Stefan brings his expertise from his previous roles at FIG Corporate Finance and as Chief of Staff at Bankable, while Gordon McKenzie has a background as a clinical entrepreneur at NHS England. Together, they bring a very interesting blend of knowledge around working capital management and technology. Our conversation with them was truly captivating, and we hope you will like it as well. In the episode of today, expect to learn what is working capital management, why is it important for companies, what are the solutions on the market that can help corporate treasurers in the management of their working capital, how can fintech and startups help in that field, what could be the role of AI in working capital management, and what is the future of working capital management and the solutions out there. And of course, like always, much, much more. If you enjoyed the episode, please consider leaving us a review on your favorite podcast app. Your support means the world to us and helps our podcast thrive. Last but not least, we started the AI Treasury Insights newsletter, a bi-weekly three to five minutes read that covers what is happening in AI in Treasury and how is this technology will change the way we do corporate treasury. Follow the link in the description or simply type in your brother corporate-treasury-101.com slash newsletter. With all that being said, please welcome Stefan and Gordon. Stefan Borden, thank you so much for coming on the Corporate Treasury 101 podcast. Great to have you. Super excited to dig into it. We've touched on uh, working capital management in the past uh, on the podcast. Guillaume explained it to me really, really well, um, but that was a bit of a time ago. <laughs> so could you start off by just like taking us through what working capital management is and why it's important to companies? Yeah, sure. I mean, if you were to kind of try to summarize this in a relatively simple way. It's really a set of processes that are ultimately aimed at maximizing cash flow. And I think if you should kind of want to go a little bit deeper, you know, some of the key aspects would probably include managing your inventory and customer billing and collections, kind of realized cash inflows, and then accounts payable to essentially optimize the timing of, of cash outflows. And, and why is it important? Well, it's, uh, I guess it's generating cash is the bread and butter of every company and that's, that's the ultimate goal. So a well-designed working capital management process helps companies to maximize the, the cash that they generate organically and, and it all else being equal should lead to, to a lower requirement to access external financing due to more expensive. So it's like making sure that the companies like manage their inflows and outflows and balance it correctly. I remember there was like short term versus long term in that as well. Is that the kind of how time frames work or because cash can be, I mean, you, money's coming in and out on a minute by minute basis in a lot of companies, right? Are you really looking at that level of detail or is it on a day cycle? Like what, what is it? How does that work? Yeah, I guess it depends on the company. You know, many companies um, might look at working capital management on a let's say a weekly basis and sometimes daily. If you, if you have a very fast, fast cash cycle, you might look at it intraday as well. I guess 
you know, if you think about the balance sheet, all the assets which, which are classified as, as short-term assets and all the liabilities that are classified as short-term liabilities, usually that means less than 12 months, are typically included in, in working capital. And I mentioned um, receivables, inventory, payables, but there are also other aspects to it, and, and a lot of them are dependent on, on your business model. I remember this 12-month mark thing that you mentioned when, when you talked it to me the first time and to everyone else. Um, so what's the role of a treasury department specifically in that process? In yeah, great question. Again, I think it slightly depends, but typically treasury plays like an oversight role and they will work very closely with, with teams that kind of manage each strand of, of working capital. So for example, you know, they will often interface with uh, colleagues in credit control or accounts payable or procurement to make sure that all these processes are done in a, in a timely in a timely manner. And I think that's important because treasury is essentially the function that has has the, the broader perspective and the broader view of this. And they also understand how all these processes ultimately tie back to financing of the company. Okay. And we've been through a lot lately, right? Uh, over the last couple of years. So we had a, a pandemic and we have quite a, a changing and evolving macroeconomic environment. I'm thinking about the Russia-Ukraine war the community prices going over the roof. Um, I mean, overall, the market is more and more uncertain and volatile, right? So how should treasury and actually finance professionals, because I, I don't think only treasury is impacted by this, right? How do professionals should look working capital management now? Yeah, I mean, this is a, a very interesting question and it's, it's very topical. And, you know, I think if you look at the current macro environment, in totality, this, this leads to essentially cost of capital increasing. Um, and if you think about it that's, that way, then managing your working capital in an efficient way um, is essentially a way to, to reduce your, your financing costs. Um, as I mentioned at the beginning, you know, the extent you can maximize cash in hand for your organic operations, you don't need to access as much external financing, um, which in the current environment is, is only going up. Yeah, it's a, it's a very good point you make here. So if that allows you to have cash more easily accessible, you don't have to borrow them at amazing interest rates going over the roof, right? So you can fund your activities yourself and not go to the banks charging interest well because of the environment, right? Is Absolutely. Do you think it's a trend that is uh, meant to continue or is it just once in a lifetime? Yeah, great, great question. I, I'm not an economist, but uh, I take a keen interest in, in this. Um, I think it's probably very difficult to foresee. And, you know, some of those, um, actors that impact the current macro environment, uh, that you mentioned are probably, well, we hope temporary in nature. So, you know, with, um, with some of the ge geopolitical pressures easing up, hopefully that should also lead to, for example, you know, uh, energy prices coming down, but at the same time, th this is a, a, a pretty big question that many finance professionals pose themselves right now, because if you think about what's happening around the world, around, you know, some of the trends like deglobalization, frictions in supply chains, that doesn't necessarily need to go away, you know, with, for example, hopefully the, the war in Ukraine ending as soon as possible. And if you think about uh, deglobalization and supply chains, you know, that's really closely related to commodity prices, has a big impact 
on FX risks and ultimately that actually influences central bank policies as well. So there are a lot of interrelated processes that, you know, you know in totality might mean that we, we could find ourselves living in a higher interest rate environment for longer. Okay. Super clear. Thanks for that. Thanks for that, Stefan. I'd like also to liaise it with multiple recent surveys that are going out lately. They all seem to be indicating that cash flow forecasting and working capital management is at the top of the agendas of CFOs and treasurers. What's, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that's totally unsurprising given, given you know, what we just discussed, you know, forecasting is to an extent a prerequisite to efficient working capital management, because unless you understand, you know, what demand you're likely to face, um, when, when exactly your different passions are going to take place and, and also when you should expect your outflows to take place, it's very difficult to put processes in place to, to manage that in a kind of optimal way. I think we noticed a couple of interesting things on the, on the forecasting side of things. So you're right. If you, if you ask a, a treasurer or a CFO about this, they tend to, they tend to agree that it's a, it's a top priority. There are also some surveys which suggest that at the same time, many CFOs and treasurers consider their own organization to actually be very good at forecasting. Indeed, we, we read a recent survey which, which suggested that between 70 and 80% of CFOs considered their own process to be, to be best in class. And I think it probably makes sense to, to a large extent, especially if you, if you think about slightly larger companies, because traditional forecasting is actually a pretty well understood process, in my experience, and many companies have, have done pretty well at mastering that. And I think that the next step is, is really to kind of think about how forecasting feeds into broader working capital processes as opposed to being a distinct field. So what do you mean by that? Like as a distinct field, do you see like a specific department dedicated to that? Well, yeah, it's, it's something we, we spend a lot of time thinking about here at Iora. So if you think about how this, how this is being done by the companies today, you know, forecasting is seen as a, as a kind of distinct process within the treasury team that people undertake. What we're quite interested in is instead of looking at it as a slightly separate question is, can you actually, for example, feed, feed forecasting to be just a feature of, of of the process. So to give you a concrete example, you know, there's more and more talk about the objective based forecasts, which form an integral part of, for example, like a smart AP system that essentially undertake certain forecasting activities in order to achieve a very specific goal that it does, as opposed to creating a forecast for, for a general purpose. Okay. So the survey you mentioned, Stefan, um, I'm interested into having a look at it. So we'll put the link in the description so people can actually consult it because that's, that's very good insight. And yeah, overall people want to know where their money is, right? That's, that's more Absolutely. That's more or less the idea. Yeah. Makes sense. So what are the, what are the solutions out there on the market that can, that can help corporate treasurers in the management of their working capital? What's out there right now? Well, the tech landscape is, is evolving. There are actually a number of interesting solutions out there. Many of them are kind of predicated on what we call kind of seamless execution. So 
oftentimes that means that these are essentially payment systems which help to move money and either in or out of the company. And you know, this is a space that has seen a lot of evolution. There are a number of kind of incumbent players in the space, but you also have the increasing interest from, from upsets and trying to disrupt these different different kind of subdomains. Okay. And is it could we call it enough? Like is the offer out there able to support the requirements of treasurers, but also I'd like to say the evolving needs and requirements, right? As per those priorities that we just broke down. Is it is it enough? Well, it's certainly helpful. And many of these tools uh they're they're a great job at at what they're designed to do. But I think it also depends on how you can afford to look at digitalization or then working capital management because you know working capital management is not just about execution you know if you, if you think about payments that's actually just a culmination of a much more intricate process that takes place in order to get money moving from one place to, to another so you know we think that if you, if you kind of if you're trying to find areas where where more value can be extracted within working capital i think a lot of that would be around process discipline and controlling um, that discipline within companies and you know increasingly technology might be might be deployed to the send as well and you know the smarter it gets the more the more helpful it can be it's helping people to effectively deal with processes in a in an increasingly agile way do you think those solutions are coming from the traditional players in the market or do you think that it's really the the fintech and and younger you know, the younger younger companies, the new companies are disrupting it. Or do you see those solutions providing the existing providers? An interesting question. I think you know, there are existing providers that that have done a good job. And you know, there are there are some quite impressive companies that maybe a few years ago would have been called a startup. And these days they're kind of becoming increasingly seen as incumbents, but, um, inevitably there's, you know, there's a lot of scope to, to kind of improve things, but also just approach things from a slightly different perspective. And I think that's what a lot of younger companies are doing is they are trying to take some of these business models, find areas where perhaps there's scope for, for improvement and for just making it, you know, making it more suitable for, for the way that you work today, as opposed to 10 years ago. So what are those, can you give an example of like the kind of methodologies or tools that were typically employed for working capital management and treasury departments, which perhaps now are less easy to use or less effective, um, or archaic even. Yeah. What are the tools of those? I think if you kind of look at those situations where people try to make incremental improvements to, to kind of pre-existing technologies. Accounts payable systems are, are a good example of that. So, you know, 20 or 10 years ago, people were trying to essentially digitize a process which used to take place across email, uh, Excel spreadsheets and the like. Today, people are thinking to what extent these processes require nearly as much human input as, as uh, you know, they, they did five years ago. And so people are asking themselves questions about to what extent is human involve, involvement here useful? Is this a case of further digitizing this or is it actually a case of just automating the way 
And conversely, you know, I think that that leads to the second question, which is where where's human time best spent? And oftentimes that's around managing processes which kind of come before this execution side of accounts payable. And that's where we, we see probably a little bit less less kind of pre-existing activity and pre-existing providers in, in that space. But we expect that this probably going to, to only grow. Being corporate treasury one one. And I think I think conversations so far has been quite non one oh one, which is nice as well. And your accounts payable systems, if we just break that down for a second, because it's interesting that you say that that's really one of the big opportunity areas, is typically inside a company you would have like an admin sitting and like really paying all the invoices to all the suppliers manually, meaning logging into a bank account, putting in the details of the receiving bank account and then clicking send, right? Is, is that, those are the kind of processes you're talking about? Is this basic as that or? Yeah, pretty much, pretty much to, to logic and it boils down to exactly that. Um, there's, you know, a little bit more work to be done than purely logging into bank accounts portals, you'll find that account payable teams often kind of manage the entire process of ensuring that invoices are legitimate and that they that they also are as they should be in terms of structure uh, around it and so on. And I think what you, what you then find is, you know, to what extent this, for example, verification uh, and governance function of accounts payable um, is, is necessary versus, for example, this, this kind of simple execution side of it, where you just click a number of buttons to, to make a payment. Yeah, I think people increasingly argue that the, the governance side is is naturally sitting with, with people, whereas the side of logging into the bank accounts is perhaps less because it's there's just less 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 kind of value being added in those final activities, if you like. But I think you know the the kind of second interesting question that that many people ask themselves who stay on their accounts payable topic is, you know, do you, how often do you have to do this? How often can you, can you process invoices? Um, many companies will kind of organize their payment activities into what they call payment runs when they execute a lot of, kind of payments, which are due around a similar time, let's say once a week, maybe either only a couple of times a month. That inevitably leads to situations where you might end up paying something a little bit earlier than it's due. So it's a good example where technology can step in and help people sort of schedule payments, of which there could be you know, many thousands in many cases, at exactly the optimal date, which again comes back to the point of you know, maximizing cash on hand and effectively reducing your financing expenses. So what I what I take from all this, Stefan, is that some companies, and I mean, I can only uh, concur with that, some companies are, are quite far in the automation process, digitization, like we are still at the very early stages of this for certain big corporates in, even um, that seem very manual, very uh, human-based. So I know there are some steps between um, this and what I would like to talk about, but I need to ask the question though. Uh, there is a kind of a trendy topic lately, to say the least, which is AI, artificial intelligence. If So if we look at really the, the best in class, working capital management processes, systems, and companies that execute that the best, what could be the role of AI? And if we are like 20 years from now, where everybody has streamlined their processes, optimized them, and so on, where does AI fit into all this? 
Yeah, we, we see this uh, as, as a very exciting space. You know, I think if you asked me 24 months ago, I probably would have told you that it's largely around automating some of those kind of more repetitive processes, like, for example, scheduling payments at the right time. But I think the technology has advanced so much and also the people's responsiveness to it and willingness to adopt advanced so much that we can imagine a future where AI can actually assist people with, with also decision-making that goes into managing work capital well beyond, you know, very simple administrative processes. And we think that, for example, there are very exciting applications for AI in helping people to make sense of, of all the different sort of data points that they, that they receive, um, as part of working capital processes and, and finding efficiencies or inefficiencies that might actually not be apparent to them at all. So we think that AI, you know, could be deployed to effectively become a process enhancement tool as opposed to being a pure automation tool, because probably in, in the near to mid, mid-time future, we, we, we will still have a significant human element in, in all of these processes. So we think, yeah, we think that the, the space is actually fast. How, how far away you think from a, a minority report, working capital management kind of <laughs> processes where you just have to put on gloves and we can, you know, touch holograms and forecast everything and have working capital management enabled through this, um, probably, probably a bit faster. Chances are, you know, a lot of this one, one thing to kind of also bear in mind always about working capital is that it's, it's always a. A, a two-way process. We always have someone who is the supplier and someone who is the, who is the procurer. So to some extent, you know, there, there will be limitations as to what can be achieved on one side if the other isn't quite as technologically advanced. No, of sense. So overall, if we had to look at the, at the future of working capital management, um, but let's be a bit more realistic than minority report in the short, mid term, like one to five years, let's say. Uh, what will be the solutions out there that we'll be able to find to help corporate treasurers and CFOs? Well, help them with their priorities, right? Yeah, I think I think it's probably going to be to be twofold. The the solutions to automate some of the processes that that are appropriate to be automated will probably become more prevalent and and easier to adopt. And and I think also we we will increasingly see people deploying. Um, technological solutions to essentially help with, with more of a, say, strategical or at least tactical decision-making where those, where those decisions cannot be simply automated. Okay. So overall, maybe to wrap up on this, uh, what is working capital management and what are the solutions out there? So working capital management is about maximizing cash flow, right? By optimizing your AP and AR processes and making sure that everything around it, inventory management, human resources, whatever that is a cost center, but also the revenues, this whole thing is optimized. Is there anything else that we didn't mention and you'd like to uh, you'd like to mention in regards to working capital management and the solutions out there right now? I suppose the, the one topic that we, we haven't spent as much time on is, is, is the kind of working capital finance inside of the equation. Um, you know, there, there are solutions to help you accelerate your, your cash conversion using financial products. And it's a, it's a very interesting place, but it's perhaps slightly 
less directly related to what we're trying to do at Hyra, which is to support people with organic cash generation. Mm, so it's it will be uh, that would be the perfect transition. But I guess where you want to position yourself at Hyra is just before that supply chain financing and working capital management financing. Yeah, super clear. Exactly. Sorry, can I can I ask a question a little bit going back to, to the AI conversation? Stefan, you mentioned something interesting, which was like, and, and indeed, like this is something that as I learned about AR and, and AP, uh, you kind of realize that someone's AR is another person's AP or in the whole supply chain of whatever it is you're delivering as a good or service. If you had like two AIs, like a, an artificial intelligence on the AR side and the same and another one on the AP side of that same transaction, and you're both optimizing for whatever you do. Like, couldn't there like be a, I don't know, like a singularity moment in that life where I don't know both of them like optimize down to an instantaneous transaction that's good for no one, or or oh, I don't know, like would it would the whole world just blow up if it happened? Yeah, you're right. There's definitely a, a competing tensions and in these processes, and you know what you often find is that. This is, to a large extent, down to, to the kind of, let's say, power dynamics between the two actors. So what you find is, is that is that sometimes, you know, the attractiveness of things like payment terms or billing terms becomes just part of the value proposition that, that you're selling as, as part of your solution. So you're right. There's, it's, it's, to some extent, it, um, it's always going to be a set of trade-offs. And I think that's why it's also important to remember that you know, it's not quite as simple as just automating processes and being done with it, because it is much more nuanced oftentimes than, than it might look like. Yeah, I mean, Guillaume, you always made a point when we were talking about this in our previous episodes around leverage in your supply chain, right? Can you, do you have the, yeah, leverage the scale to be able to negotiate favorable payment terms for yourself versus others in your notes can the AI negotiate one day like is that is that can two AIs negotiate with each other and come out with a, a favorable outcome because in human interactions of negotiating those kind of things it's kind of like okay one for me next time for you we build trust we build relationships and therefore we're able to have those you know these things foster relationships almost as well especially in your customers and your clients uh, I want to witness that conversation if it ever ever happens between exactly. two AIs. <laughs> Even though that might be at supersonic speeds, might be interesting. Yes, would be interesting to see the arguments that are being used. Hi, Gordon, you're you're the technical guy in the in the team. Do you think that you can code in parameters for AI negotiations and leverage? Which depends if you're talking about narrow AI or um, within or AI more. You know, general AR, deep AI. Um, so initially, these things would probably be constructed with narrow AI. They'd work within a you know set parameters. Uh, there may be some you know negotiation in there that you know some leeway that it can work towards. But then it would just you know back off if it ha hit that threshold. Whereas with more kind of deep AI that would be driven by a real-time learning algorithm that was seeking reward, for example, what we call reinforcement learning. Uh, which we we'll, might touch on again a little bit later, which, um, for example, Google DeepMind wrote a really interesting paper that they published that, you know, reinforcement learning 
this idea of seeking reward and being punished by penalty is what drives uh, you know the entirety of learning across you know biological organisms so um if you're dealing with that where it's constantly trying to seek the most reward it really depend on what kind of first of all the the policy that's been set for it so what can it do but if that's unconstrained if it has no um, limits that have been built into it then it really will just seek the maximum possible reward so if that involves essentially getting one over on the other party then it'll really come down to who had the better reinforcement learning algorithm between those two parties when those two ais are working uh you know against each other so yeah it'd be very much like a game so yeah it's very interesting idea there's there's a really interesting um story on reinforcement um based reward systems which is like uh they they did the same thing with football uh robots once right and it's interesting because when you code those kind of pro- problems you need to be very careful with what you reward so in those ro- football based robots they rewarded like scoring goals and things but they also rewarded touches on the ball so if you're able to to touch the ball or what they meant to do was passes but they coded as touches and these robots were just sitting there just kept the ball in front of them and just kept touching it like this to like max out the the reward system so i guess it can go wrong as well if you don't uh set it up correctly absolutely yeah and i think it'll probably be a big stimulus to really uh bringing in in regulation as well there'll be some kind of safety event in some industry where you know this will just get a bit out of control someone will coded it incorrectly for example in some way and uh, we'll have a weird hopefully not catastrophic but there'll be some weird kind of event where uh, it becomes there'll be some kind of unfairness in the system that will require regulation i agree and i think it's you know get a get an interesting interesting topic when it comes to work on capital management is there are certain circumstances in which companies might actually self-impose certain limitations to how far they will go. I think a kind of commonly quoted example of this is management of like essentially your, your payables and stretching out payment terms. What you will find is that large companies, which theoretically should have a greater negotiating power, often have worse DPO metrics than smaller companies. And that's actually most often due to the fact that those large companies don't want to be seen as unfairly stretching payment terms on on their own supply chains, which which might have a lower negotiating power. And, you know, that comes back to kind of people's perceptions on corporate behavior and treatment of of, of your very various stakeholders. So whilst you know financial efficiency is a is a big driver, you you will find that working capital has more facets to it than, than just that. <laughs> 